What is up, MCU cast friends? This is Matt stepping into the feed. We are dropping uh, an episode of Pandavision here in the feed because, as you all know, we're in this long drought of content. And I know a lot of you guys are watching The Boys. And uh, we are covering the boys on our show, Pandavision. We've talked a lot about Pandavision. We told you guys a lot about it. It's our show where we're covering geeky TV shows that don't fit into any particular universe. We covered Umbrella Academy, the boys. We're covering Lovecraft Country right now. So if you are into those kinds of shows, go check out Pandavision. And specifically, this is season two, episode three. It is the most up-to-date episode of the boys. So if you're following along with the boys, if you watched all the first three episodes that dropped last Friday... Here's this episode. We try not to do these uh, feed drops too often, but I know it's the way I've found some of my favorite shows. When one of my other podcasts drops an episode in the feed, that's how I found some of my favorites. So, thought we'd do the same here. So, hopefully you guys uh, can check it out. So, again, Pandavision. So, search Pandavision on your podcatcher, and if it doesn't show up, let me know. I'll uh, make sure it gets submitted to that podcatcher. It's still such a young show that it's, it's still getting disseminated to some of the podcatchers. And if you like it, Go over there. We, we covered all the first three, one, two, and three, uh, as separate episodes. So you can go check those out if you'd rather hear them all. And we'll be back on Pandavision tomorrow with episode four. Uh, tomorrow or Saturday. I'm not sure which. All right. Enjoy. This time on Pandavision, the boys get together to review season two, episode three of The Boys. Over the hill with the swords of a thousand men. All that and more right after this ad we have no control over. Welcome to Pandavision, the Stranded Panda podcast where we take a deep dive into the standalone geeky TV shows that we love. My name is Matthew Carroll. And I'm Jeff Randall. And I'm Matthew S. Fox. And we're here to discuss episode three of season two of The Boys. Uh, let's uh, We're going to get right into it, so full spoiler alert. Uh, we're finally caught up with the sort of binge that they dropped at the beginning. Um, this episode is, is kind of where everything comes to a head. The boys are hanging out on a yacht, and the seven tracks them down. Really, this is kind of everything coming to the head after two seasons. Uh, we've, never really, we've never really had the seven actually after The Boys directly, you know? We really have barely ever seen the seven outside of the boardroom, <laughs> to right. be honest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, I think it's the only time we've actually seen them. We've seen pairs work together. Like we saw um, Homelander and Maeve try to save the plane together. The Deep and Starlight went on a mission together, though obviously that was all, um, you know, staged. I think it's the first time, though, that we've seen a, a big group of them out together. Um, and it's interesting because they, as we quickly see, they have no cohesion whatsoever um yeah but yeah this feels like a big confrontation on a number of levels that we've been building to well it's also the fact that like they didn't do any prep they talked about you got to get prepped by legal and prepped by pr and all this stuff and then we go out and we know what we're doing because that's how the vault normally works but they actually leave this is them going out sort of going rogue and actually trying to be superheroes one of the uh, one of the things that made me absolutely giggle in that scene where they were where they showed up at the whale um, when when the deep is crying over Lucy showing up is one way to call it yeah oh you mean yeah. the seven showing up yeah I thought you yeah, were when, talking the boys I got you when the seven showed up um, you know you always in in comic books you always see like the the heroic leap in and they you know there's that side view where you can see all of the heroes dashing in or like you know the the 
down camera looking up at them at their silhouettes as they stand heroically posing. But that didn't happen here. They just kind of like strolled in. And then <laughs> when they were making their way into the sewer or the, the storm drain <laughs> and deep was just like, go get them guys. You know, I believe in you go team <laughs> like pat them on the shoulder as they go by. And they're just like awkwardly strolling. <laughs> and it was so not heroic at all. And I was like, wait a minute. If all the heroes are just kind of casually walking along, like, yeah, it's going to look weird like this, especially on a beach. Well, I mean, one thing that they've, I think we talked about this some during last season is Mostly they've been fighting, like, just normal criminals. Um, it, it seems like part of the point is that the Seven, most superheroes, but especially the Seven, they're not, like, going up and fighting their equals at all. And right. I think this is, there's an extent to which, like, all seven of them against the boys seems like incredible overkill. All seven of them against even two superheroes feels like overkill. But I think I think that's part of the point is no one's ever thought to send all seven on a mission because... You know, how many terrorists with machine guns do you need? Like, one superhero can take them out, maybe two? Like, I think this is totally new territory for everyone. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, and and it's just, they're, they're out on a limb. They've kind of like, don't have Vought behind them in a weird way. And are we going to, is that going to remain that way? I guess not. I get the, at the end of the episode, um, Stormfront is still being kind of brought up by Edgar. And, and and speaking the talking points for Vought or whatever, which again, we just jumped to like, it's way deep in the episode, but we just jumped to like, uh, so Stormfront is basically as bad as Homelander, right? Oh yeah. Maybe worse. Maybe worse because she knows how to work the, the popular media, you know, she's, you know, uh, live streaming on it looked like Instagram or and or Facebook and or and or you know any of the right mm-hmm. social medias yeah insert your preferred social media platform yeah but yeah i just mean like in a uh getting out there and like <laughs> homelander will turn bad and kill when he thinks he can get away with it but she was like just murdering people for pure fun yeah, yeah, it was just casual for her. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean is like she's got the public opinion on her side. She's got, you know, she's working the social media to get everybody liking her. But then on the flip side, you know, on the like in the shadows or whatever, on the side when she's not recording, she is as bad, if not worse than Homelander and really not even trying to cover it up. It reminds me of somebody else when they're not recording. They're just a horrible person. I won't say who. <laughs> okay. You, you'll tell me after. <laughs> just kidding. Like pretending like one of us is just a horrible person off off mic. Just just a monster. Okay, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Matt. It's me. <laughs> Everyone knew. <laughs> Everyone already knew. <laughs> we knew it right from the start. There's no monsters. We're just misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that that sounds like a, a theme of this weekend, right? <laughs> Good old gang of doppelgangers that you guys sought out. Anyway, that's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. beside the point. Wait, what are you talking about? I'm lost. Don't worry, Matt. All of our fans are lost, too. He's referencing the D&D campaign that me and uh, a number of other uh, um, pandas are playing in that Jeff's running. Gotcha. Referencing something that does not compute here at all. Okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's why I, I said anyway and yeah. tried to segue. <laughs> Matt, the question you're raising, though, I think is a really good one because... You know, we talked before about this power struggle that's brewing between Edgar and Homelander, really. 
And I think this is very much that, you know, Edgar clearly, he doesn't want them going out. Uh, He at one point makes reference to, can you babysit the infants on 99? Which I thought was just such an interesting, like, view of how Edgar views the superheroes. He doesn't, like, as he said, they're the product. They're not in any way driving the ship as he sees it. And this is Homelander really trying to be like, no, okay, let's go off and do our job and, um, you know, try and uh, be the heroes out in the world. Um, and, and I think it's very interesting as this like huge counterpoint to Edgar. And I think Edgar seems to be like playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. So I imagine Edgar does have a plan for this, but it's definitely an interesting moment of like, who's actually running Vought. Well, and this is, this is also, uh, the first time we've seen that there is a difference. So we've been talking a lot about like the philosophical differences between who has strength in, in, in like the talent as, as Homelander put it, the talent versus the PR. Right. But what this, this episode showed is that Edgar is not a part of the PR. Edgar is a part of the money, I guess. Uh, there's a scene where, um, a train says, you don't fuck with the money. Yeah. Don't fuck with the money. Yeah. And that's more about him personally, but I think this was setting up because it, there were multiple lines and I don't think it's a mistake because I think we've been talking so much about, and this show has been so, showing us so much that there's two arms of Vought. There's the public facing PR arm and there's what's actually going on. Right. And what, what is more important? Who's more powerful? We've been talking about that a lot, but this showed like Edgar seems to really disregard the PR arm, like in multiple things that he says, there's, there was a line where, um, you know, well, there was the line that, uh, a train was saying, you know, like we, we haven't talked to the legal. We haven't talked to this. We haven't done our, the PR. Like we don't know what we're going in to do. And he was like, no, no, no you just do, go do you, you go, you go superhero. Mm, yeah. And then there's another line where, um, he says, we're partners. Uh, we, we got to go out there and you guys got to stop the super terrorist. And Homelander says, villain, super villain. <laughs> They're still fighting over the branding. Well, he's this villain, super villain. And the response from Edgar wasn't, I prefer terrorist. He was like, sure, whatever. Like, I don't think yeah. Edgar is not the PR guy. Like, yeah, he can put on the PR face like he did at the end of this episode. But he's the money guy trying to build a business. And he doesn't really care about the PR or the product. He just thinks of both. Both of them are like under his control as far as he's concerned. And he's just using what he needs to. And I, I guess I kind of always considered him a part of the... In that struggle, he's a part of the PR arm, but like I, he's really not. I, I guess I see it a little differently. I, I think he is part of the P. I think he understands the importance of PR. It's just that he thinks of strategy, not tactics. Like he doesn't think that the momentary tweet or what you say in the moment is important. What, but I think Edgar really cares about like how do we get the American public to feel this way about superheroes? How do we, how do we build the business now that this you know compound V is out in the world? How do we shift? How do we recontrol the story? Uh, as he does in that last speech he gives. Um, you know, yes. He does a great job of being like, yep, Compound V, that's a thing. It's all Stillwell's fault. But by the way, terrorism. Um, yeah, that's true. So yeah, I, I think you're mostly right. I, I think he doesn't care about like the, I think he doesn't give a damn about costumes or like who tweets what or anything like that. But I think he does very much care about the, the story. It's just that he sees that social media PR stuff as a tool instead of the end goal. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I guess I guess a way of looking at it is he sees himself over both parts and doesn't get mired down in either. And by, by doing that, he seems to be disrespecting both and not really 
getting into the weeds with either one and not respecting what either arm of the company does. And I just, I just found that interesting that he didn't seem to be like really paying attention to the nuances of either thing. He was just like, go superhero. You guys go do your thing. Like my company is falling (laughs) apart. I need the parts of it to do what they do. Matt, it's kind of obvious that you've never worked in a corporate environment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because no, I, what you're seeing is exactly what happens in the corporate world yeah no I, I i have not worked much in a corporate environment but i do i definitely understand that often that is that honestly in many times the in many times a good leader knows when to delegate like and that and yeah. that's what happens but like this seemed to cross the line of where he just completely disrespects uh that what either of them are doing. And I, I wonder if that will come back to bite him or if that's just how things are run in corporate America, like you're saying, or corporate, whatever it, I mean, it kind of is. I've worked in the IT departments for, you know, all of the corporate places that I've worked. So and they're like, no, you just do IT and fix it. Yeah. It's exactly that every time. Like we're yep, the superheroes yeah. and they're just like, just do you make the thing, make it go. And, <laughs> and I think that's Edgar's thing is he thinks like, you know, this is sort of like when the actors start telling the director how to direct the movie, you know, and right. the smart right. director listens, the the power mad director is like, no, no, stay in your lane. And I think Edgar is, I think he, he kind of feels like Stillwell and some of the others coddled the the heroes a little bit too much and let them run, run things and let kind of kowtow to them too much. And he clearly is just like, no, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, you know, you work for me. I control the money. Um... It makes me even wonder, like, because there is that there is that sense of like at any moment Homelander can just you know blink his eyes and kill Edgar. Um, I really hope that that is actually true, and Edgar is just so badass that he doesn't care. He just doesn't think that will ever happen. It does hmm. make me wonder if Edgar has powers himself because he is oh, yeah. doing so much to antagonize Homelander and the others that part of me wonders, like, is it because he knows he is actually invulnerable to Homelander in some way? Um, or has some sort of mind control or some sort of thing that like is allowing him to know if he's actually in danger. Like, I hope that's not the case, but I could see that being a possibility. I could see him like having uh, a team of soups behind him as well. That's like always got his back, even if he doesn't whatever, you know, like maybe he has like a secret force of whatever mind control soups that are working on the seven that are making sure they're doing what they need to do or who knows that gets pretty deep into like, removing agency from characters that's not great (laughs) i like to think of um i like to think of him more as like a a a wilson fisk type where he's yeah you know he's the he's a standard human but he also uh puts a lot of money into like r&d so he's got a suit that you know can't be affected by the eye lasers that that homelander has and um you know, maybe he, he would double over from the strength, but like, as long as he's got that mental game up on, on Homelander, Homelander just feels powerless. Like you could see it when he was talking to him and Edgar or Mr. Edgar was like, you man child that you are distributed this compound via around the world. And he's like, yeah, I did bad. <laughs> like <laughs> you could see it in his face. It was like a, a parent reprimanding their child, but like one that one that does it with just biting tone more than anything. Mm. And the child's like, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Yeah. And it's interesting because I mean, Homelander obviously had a parental thing going with Stillwell 
And so it's yep. interesting seeing that be flipped. Like, it's not the mommy thing now, it's the daddy thing. <laughs> there is some Freudian therapist who would have so much fun with Homelander because he is just all edible and, you know, Yacosta issues all over the place. Uh, not Yacosta, but yeah, the, the edible and the Freudian. Yeah. So really, we we, we got a few, uh, some big stuff happening this episode. Um, we finally really get a sort of coming together of the seven in a weird way uh, against the the, the Vought, but then they, they're still there for them at the end. So I, I don't know. It's just like they're starting to have a delineation between the two, which is interesting. Uh, but you also have in this a coming together of the boys uh, where, you know, that that was the, the the final moments where just to jump right to the meat of it uh when butcher steps out and says oi cunt <laughs> yeah and 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 like seeing a that that is why we love butcher that moment is why we love butcher no matter what else we can say about him like that moment of being so bold that you will step in front of homelander who can snap you like a twig at any moment now he apparently has a deal uh, or as far as we know, the wife has a deal possibly to keep him safe. So may, I don't know if he knows that or not, but he steps out and like willing to risk himself completely with that moment. Uh, and he has a plan, of course, because Butcher always does. But, uh, you know, he didn't know what that what it, he didn't know if he, he let that soup um, mouse free on Homelander if he could take Homelander down. You know, uh, it was just a really it was a gamble, but he was he did it to protect Huey. And he did it because mm-hmm. Huey is his canary. And I loved, I loved, I, I continue to love all of the, um, first they were the Spice Girls and now he's his canary. I, I continue <laughs> to love all of the um, metaphors they use to explain who the boys yeah. are in relation to each other. I love the canary part and I love getting to see the two of them, um, you know, fall more into line with each other um, while butcher is still up to his old old stuff well it sets up a really interesting um road and a really interesting like explanation of why the boys works like why do they work as a team and it's because butcher is pushing forward and huey is pulling him back and saying don't go too far if you lose me if you lose your canary you won't know how far you've gone you know you don't know when you've gone too far and like mother's milk is is I feel like Mother's Milk can speak truth into Butcher's life in a way that I, I think even Frenchie can't sometimes. Like Mother's Milk just has this way of coming to Butcher and being like, you need to listen to this. You're losing the team. We're falling mm-hmm. apart and you need him. It's not just him needing you. It's you needing him. Yeah. And uh, that I, I, I loved that. And it, it still it doesn't take away from their relationship. Like there's still going to be a rift between them. I think, um, but it explains it in a way that I can like understand what's happening under the surface, and I really liked it a lot. Well, especially because I think part of what we're seeing here, and this is on both sides. We talked about this in season one. Is this idea of getting corrupted? You know that you go into something with your ideals, and this is Stormlight. It's it's some of the seven. It's it's Butcher and Huey. Star, it, Starlight. Like, just, Oh god damn it. Is it Stormfront or Starlight? Starlight. Starfront or Stormlight? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Starlight. Starlight. That that whoever it is that you know that they go into all these ideals and they slowly get corrupted. And I think that especially from you know, Mother's Milk and Frenchie aren't as bad as Butcher are, but they know that they're pretty corrupted too. You know, I don't mean that like in an evil way, but just in a 
they're so mired in the darkness of the fight that it's hard for them to sort of still do like the right thing, the moral thing, even though they do occasionally. And I think that in, in some way, Mother's Milk is saying like, it's not just that, that Huey needs that canary, it's that they all need the canary. And that they, mostly that they need, they need for Butcher to have a canary because they know that like, they'll probably follow Butcher into the really, really bad stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, just, I love that it's Mother's Milk who makes that point. Yeah, me too. I feel kind of like he's the he's the heart, the glue that holds the team together. Like even though Huey, like Huey's the conscience, mm-hmm. MM mm. is more like the the you know the ties that bind. Basically, he's the yeah. I do think he's the glue that ties them together. I feel like Frenchie is kind of the heart. Like I feel like Frenchie would go that's fair above and beyond to save someone that he thinks needs saving at the risk of his own life and maybe even the rest of the boys. Yeah, but the way that MM came in, like he crawled into the whale oh, <laughs> to sit beside here. He was just like, You don't go, I don't go. You ain't going, I ain't going. And and he just says, Asshole. Asshole. Yep. MM <laughs> <laughs> just goes yep <laughs> like i'm an asshole but uh your ass is getting up yep I, i'm a manipulative asshole let's do this <laughs> it's so great it's oh. uh, it's so good and it's just we needed this we really needed this uh, this I, and honestly i'm really glad they made this episode the 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 final of the season of the drop you know of this particular yeah. drop because like as fractured as the boys were, it was becoming hard to root for them inside, like, like root for butcher and to see Huey falling apart. And this is a moment of like clarity that butcher is willing to, uh, willing to keep working to save his friends, you know? And I I, I thought that was really important. Yeah. And especially since we'd already seen like, you know, with him stealing the boat, but lying to him about that, like, you know, there's no extent he's still doing the same old stuff. But yeah. at least he's he's going there there, and I think you're right. I I I think we did need this time off because there's a lot to process from this episode. I think between everything that happens with the boys, I think with this major revelation now in the in the world is fundamentally changing. Like we we talked before about how we didn't want this season to just feel like a rehash of last season, and I I love that now we have something fundamentally different. You know, the world has changed. They know about Compound V. Um, there's just figuring out who the seven are. Like I'll admit, I Stormfront. I'm gonna get the name right. Um, I have no idea who that character is right now. It feels like we've gotten three totally different characters in the three episodes. They just all happen to have that same name. Well, here's the thing that they did that was clever with her, and I think uh-huh. it play it, it might play particularly into your uh, uh, your your views as a as a as a very liberal man. Um, like she came in super girl power and super like standing up to the patriarchy and standing up to the corporate America and like standing up to all this stuff. And that, that is, and I think there's not, that's not like not who she is. She is those things, but she's also a maniacal, like sociopath who wants to murder. Like, (laughs) so, so it like made you and it made me too, but I think it like, it's particularly, I think it I think it was, it was designed to be like, Look at this like young liberal voice coming into the seven. And then it like fell apart completely when you see her in private and how she's going to handle missions. And it's like, oh, okay. And it reminded me of the line a couple episodes ago when she says, uh, inclusiveness is really important to millennials right now. (laughs) Oh, man. I was just thinking about that scene, too. Yeah. Oh, that scene. (sighs) Oh, 
Yeah. Chris. Yeah. With what was the character's name? Daredevil ripoff. That daredevil ripoff. Blind spot. Bl- blind spot. Yeah. Blind I, spot. I, I have some thoughts on that scene. I, I I thought I loved it for so many reasons. But yeah, sticking with Stormfront, I, I I see what you mean. I and I think that's a really interesting tack to take. To me, though, I don't. I'm I'm having real trouble finding the through line. You know, because she's not in any way talking about social media in the second or third episode, and and all the stuff she said in the second episode, like. There's that one comment where she just makes this, like, incredibly racist comment that doesn't seem to make any sense with anything about her. Um, you know, I, I think it's a very interesting direction that she's going, and it's interesting to kind of get, like, who is the real her and where is where is she coming from? Um, right now, though, it just feels like three totally different characters, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure the writers are going to tell us how it all comes together, but I'm not seeing it right now. I see that. I see that. I do think that they have... Uh the her on so and i mean like it makes sense that the her on social media might be a little different than the her that is sitting around talking to the seven uh, or talking to a train and but then the her that is on this mission and sees just opportunity to murder and takes it that her i mean that's 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 the twist i think like so i don't think we're supposed to see that coming is it like oh she is as bad or worse than homelander when it comes to like collateral damage Jeff, what's your take on Stormfront? Well, I, you know, it's it's interesting that she talks to um, she talks to Starlight as like, you know, you don't have to put on the mask. Who gives a shit about the mask? Like, or who gives a shit what everybody else thinks? Take off the mask; it feels better uh, to just be yourself. And then, like in the in the boardroom when the the director guy was pitching the the movie for, or he was talking about the trailer for the Dawn of the Seven, like. Real silly, but she was looking through the script just like, uh, <laughs> I got some things to say. Like, you, you portray women as, and she, she named two specific it, things. It's Hitchcockian mystery bitches or <laughs> uh, Transformers fuck dolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Bay fuck dolls. Michael Bay fuck dolls, yeah. It was so good. And she accused him of jerking off to Transformers over and over again. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you know. Who wouldn't, right? Yeah. But... <laughs> I'm suddenly really glad I haven't seen those movies. She's she's got this this tenacity to her, you know, in front of everybody else. But when she was killing random people in that apartment building, um, mm-hmm. and when she said the super racist thing to the um, the the Japanese guy, uh, Kenji. Yeah, was his, what's his name? Is his real name is Kenji? Oh, okay. I don't think I ever caught his real name. I just saw, I heard mouse. Yeah. I, I, I think he's more like Southeast house. Asian than Japanese, but yeah, either, either way. He was speaking Japanese. Was he? Oh, okay. There yes. <laughs> uh, and they even said we could go back to Japan. Mm, anyway. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think their family had, their, their ancestors were from Japan, but their, their immediate family lived somewhere else. And then they were talking about how their immediate family in the village had all been killed, but the, if they needed to, they could go back to Japan because their grandparents lived there or something. Oh, you're right. Yep. Totally right. Yep. Um, so when when uh, she's dealing with him, she thinks that she's alone and nobody else, nobody is around to see her mask. And yeah. I just, I find it very interesting that she, uh, she does that. She puts on the mask of who gives a fuck about masks and then is just a brutal psychopath. Yeah. So I think what we really need to talk about, though, is Homelander throwing a kid off a roof. <laughs> that was a uh, that that you don't think that's father of the year moment, like throw them into the deep end of the pool. Uh, <laughs> probably not. 
Probably not. <laughs> Although it did eventually result in uh, coming out of powers. Yeah. In a very X-Men, you know, teenage angst sort of way. Yeah, the whole Homelander se- segment of this episode, uh, he's out of the regular narrative. He doesn't even find out about Vought until way later, the, the compound mm-hmm. V's in the public. Uh, and him just, like, sitting down to breakfast with his family. Uh, this, like, weird, fake family that he thinks he's going to force himself to have. Talk about consent. Ooh. We, we talked a little bit about that last season, like, whether 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 that situation was a, a rape or not. Uh, and like literally whether she can she she was wanting it last season or whatever and in this episode she says you don't get to say what you don't get to say that after what you did yeah it's pretty clear to me at this point that she did not willingly sleep with him i think you're right you're absolutely right so that does give this entire thing an entirely different tone this Mm -hmm. this entire situation it's a different level of horror i guess I'm continually impressed by the actor who's playing um, Homelander. The way he stands and the facial expressions, like there's that moment where um, his son is speaking in Spanish and his mother mentions that like, you know, on Mondays we speak Spanish and he doesn't say a word. He just, the look on his face though, tells you everything he feels about that. Um, And I mean, it's just like a two second moment, but to me that was really powerful about, you know, Becca really has an idea about how she wants to raise this kid and it's so fundamentally different from what Homelander wants, because what Homelander wants is he wants him to know he's a god and to not think he's anything else and to not sort of like stoop to lowering himself to know the languages of other people or know the customs or the, you know, they should all do what we do because we're gods. Yep. And, you know, it's it's so interesting that he was telling the kids specifically, like, we are gods. No one can tell us no. We can do anything we want and no one can stop us. And that's like he's he's relishing in that. But then in this very episode, the kid pushes him away, says, get off of her. Yeah. And I hate you. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. And then Homelander leaves. Yeah. He's told no by someone who seems to be as strong as him. Well, yeah, but the, it's also a child. It's also someone he's still, I think he's still, even though he seems to give up in this episode, because he's never had to have grit for anything in his life. Um, he seems to give up on this, this family idea because he comes back and says, you know, oh, we're family. <laughs> he talks yeah, you to, guys are my real family. You guys are my real family. This, uh, it doesn't matter what put us here. Uh, we're, but we're together and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing doesn't matter how we got here, but we, we got to pull together, not you talking to, uh, uh, Edgar, Edgar. but us, mm-hmm. you guys are my real family. Like that whole, that whole thing is very, um, uh, I mean, he's clearly informed by those earlier scenes where he feels like his family has rejected him. Uh, but I still don't think he's lost hope. Like, I think if he really felt like they were truly rejecting him, he might murder both of them. I don't think he's above that. I think he's definitely going to go back, but I think it really rocks him because he has been, since the start of season one, he's been looking for that person who will, you know, it, it's that I want you to be strong enough to make every decision on your own, but of course then you should always decide to agree with me. Um, that's right. kind of like self-delusion, and I think it's, he wanted that from Maeve, he wanted that from Stillwell, he wanted that from from some of the others, Like, and he think he... That moment with his son, he's so thrown by because on the one hand, he's proud of his son. He's proud of Stan for standing up. But it's, you know, 
on the one hand, he's saying, we are gods, no one should ever tell us what to do. But the subtext is, but of course, I get to tell you what to do, because I'm the bigger god. I'm the daddy god, you're the little god. Um, and I think he's just not really sure what to do about this, now that he has kind of an equal, but an equal who who hates him. Um, yeah, and I, I think there's definitely going to be some kind of big confrontation with, with Becca and his son, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. Did did we get any kind of reaction from Maeve or Stormfront about learning about Compound V? Yeah, Maeve is talking to Elena, and she says that her father, you know, went on TV and said we never knew, but she doesn't believe her father. Oh, that's right. I guess I guess I it's still through the lens of what her dad did. My my point is, we get two very sincere reactions from uh, the Deep, who is freaking out because his parents always told him that, and he's like dealing with this cult uh or the and uh and then there's also uh black noir is in the in the hallway crying he's crying in the hallway because he thought he was special (laughs) and now he knows it was all in a lab we're we're getting Uh, just like these little bits of his character and i I was talking to a friend of mine we're saying like on the one hand i want to know so much more about him and i also kind of don't i just love that like he, he plays the piano and he can't get an appetizer and he drinks through a straw through a mask. He tries yeah. to make a kid happy while holding the severed head of that kid's father. You know, like he's just he's a very complicated person. Did you notice in this episode when they got to the whale, when they got to Lucy and the deep is crying over over the whale, Black Noir reaches up and it's just like, I'm sorry, noble creature. Yeah, <laughs> he, he puts his hand on her. And everybody else is like, oh my god, the deep fucking fish. And Black Noir is like, rest in peace. <laughs> I hope, you know, the boys aren't always heroes. And the seven are definitely not heroes. I hope that this story ends with us finding out that Black Noir was the real hero of the story the whole time. <laughs> yep, the whole time. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't know what, I, what was going on. I, nobody really talks to me. He takes off his mask and he's played by some like big celebrity. Yeah. In the, in the final episode. I don't know, man. <laughs> Huey. Huey. Threw, sorry. <laughs> Huey threw a lifesaver ring into uh, the ocean when the helicopter was going down. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. That was beautiful. It was so sad to me. It really was. It's really funny and like a funny image, but like, man, it's sad because he really just wants to do good, but he can't. And he was trying to help in whatever way he could, and it was so defeated. He was just like, eh. For a second, I thought he was going to jump in the water, which would have been the bolder move of like, you guys better save me because I'm going in to save these guys, you know? Right. Um, Let's see if you, and I kind of would have liked that. Like if maybe that could have been the a, a moment for MM to push Butcher into going back or something like that, yeah. um, instead of uh, waiting till later. And I like that it's the whale that really is the final thing that breaks Huey because I I appreciate the, the gratuitousness of this show and that it's willing to go there. There's sometimes I have to look look away, and I certainly think someone in the design has a decapitation fetish that I don't really understand. <laughs> um, the whale, though, was probably the moment where I can't, like, I had to look away for a couple minutes, like, a couple seconds, because I was just like, this is, oh gosh. I get what you're trying to show us, I could not physically watch it, it was just too upsetting. Well, and them and, inside the cavern of the, the whale's chest or whatever, leaning yeah. against its organs, while the organs are still pumping and stuff, I was really grossed out, and I was really sad for the whale, I was, 
It was yeah. rough. That whale didn't want any of that. No, that whale didn't have... I mean, I think the whale... I don't think the deep controls fish. I think he talks to them. So I guess... I guess if we're, if we're, I guess I think I think the whale did agree to this, <laughs> like to be a part of this. <laughs> There's a whole other consent conversation to happen about what what the deep talks the fish into. Yeah, um. yeah. If, can <laughs> can he talk to fish or is he forcing fish? And that's a whole different thing. I, I, I'm knowing the deep. I think it's probably talked to, right? I mean, he had that discussion with the dolphin or the porpoise in season one, where it was clear yeah. the dolphin like wanted a lot more from him. Yeah, and, and it was actually the dolphin that was pressuring him. It was so I don't think the fish like I don't think he controls fish. I think he just like talks to them. <laughs> dolphin. It's true. I mean, I would be interested to see like if next time he tries to talk some fish into helping him, they're like, "We saw what you did to our whale friend. Like, yeah. fuck off. We saw what you did to Lucy." <laughs> yeah, I thought it was weird that he even, he basically beaches the whale before. I mean, he's like it's not that far out of the water, but I was like. That, that whale can, can that whale get back in the water from where it landed? It doesn't seem so. Well, he's also like super strong, so uh, he can maybe push the whale back out there, or maybe mm. he could get some crab friends to come carry. Yeah, it on like the back. he's got ways. <laughs> yeah, you're right. My, he's got ways. My bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just get like a like a, a crab friend to come like sing a sing a moonlight love song while uh, <laughs> in 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 bad jamaican patois uh <laughs> let's talk about starlight for a bit what um i, I want to talk about where starlight winds up at the end of this episode but one of my favorite moments was when we see starlight watching the news about how the compound v story has broken because she looks so satisfied and so just like yes we did it yeah and to me that was like if I want to show people like why the boys is different from every other show, like that's the moment I want to show them because most of the time that's the like, you know, foggy and Karen and, and Matt are sitting around watching the news and like, we did it. We won. And like, you're able to feel that as the audience We're here. I was watching it, watching her feel like self-satisfied and I just knew, okay, that's the, that's the writer telling us this is all going to go wrong very soon. (laughs) Right? Like, it's episode three. They're showing this now. This was not the end. Yeah. No. Well, and just the look, her being that, like, yes, we did it. You just knew it was going to come crashing down. For sure. Well, you juxtapose it against the final shot, which is the boys all huddled around, covered in blood and dirt, and they're watching the screen as uh, Vought spins it and spins the yep. whole thing. And it's like, oh... They thought they had them. They had them on the ropes. And then this is like kind of a mirror scene of them watching. I mean, and, and you talk about you talk about the um, that scene, but you also have the scene where the boys find it out for the first time. And they get, they're yelling about Huey having done it. And M.M.'s so yeah. excited. I love that scene. I love it. M.M.'s like, Huey, you did that. And then he just picks him up and hugs him. You think he's going to like reprimand him because they always do. But he just yeah. picks him up and hugs him real big. And then Frenchie kisses him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then Butcher, like as much as we hate Butcher being an asshole, Butcher understands. He's like, okay, that's fine. But they're going to pull, we made a move and they're going to make a counter move. You know, he, I think ev- they're all sort of still waiting for this magic bullet of if we just get the truth out everything will fall apart. Everyone will realize that the power structure is totally bad and wrong. Not that this situation is in any way relevant to anything today. Um, but I think, I think it's actually really kind of a brilliant thing of, you know, butcher is like the one who's like, yeah, the public now knows that we've peeled back one, one layer. 
there's going to be another one. The fight's not over yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. And like he, he says, nice one. Like that was a good move in this campaign. Yeah. But it is still going. Campaign not over. And you can, you can tell that he understands it is still going, but everybody else thinks that this is it. This, you know, we're done. They're saying that it's Butcher versus Homelander. Right. And like everything that they do, it's Butcher versus Homelander. But I think it's really Butcher versus Mr. Edgar. Hmm. Interesting. I think the two of them are playing chess against each other and everybody else is having fun checkers matches. <laughs> that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it for sure. I do think it would be it'll be interesting when he realizes that he's been hating soups all this time. And really, well, he, he should be. He should have been hating the system that allows soups to be who they are, that allows the, them to have impunity and allows them. You know, literally, they have some sort of qualified immunity deal. They talked about last season, where like they can't be yeah. prosecuted for collateral damage. Collateral damage on the has job. nothing to do with today. Nothing at yeah. all. <laughs> but just back on Starlight, um, I thought this was going to be the moment, especially when she. Um, you know, the, the way the fight plays out, maybe Homelander doesn't quite realize she, he, 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 uh, she's kind of turning against him. But I definitely thought this was going to be the moment where Starlight's like, I can't, I can't keep up this facade anymore. I have to just break and join Huey and, and, and fight with the boys. I was a little surprised to see that that didn't happen. Did, did any of you guys get that sense? I was kind of surprised she didn't kill Huey. I knew, I knew she wasn't going to kill Huey. Like, she loves him. She, she still loves him. Like every time she says you, you know, you lied to me every day. Like you can tell that she's hurt, and she's going to like. She still feels that pain. Yeah. But she also wants to believe him every time he says something. He like mm-hmm. he want or she wants him to tell the truth so that they can get back to where they were. They both really like each other. So she's not going to kill it. I agree, but I'm just, I'm not talking about the, the structure of the episode and the way they set this up, which it, which is what's so beautiful about it. I, I didn't really think they'd do it because I think Huey's a main character that will persist, but they set it up in this beautiful way where Huey is really defeated. And then he had that wonderful conversation with her on the phone and says, um, you know, Hey, I, 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 this, I know you're doing all this spy shit and that's pretty great. Like I, I've been there, I've done that, but like, that stuff can go south pretty quick and you might hurt somebody like I hurt you. Oh yeah. That, I mean that last message that he leaves her. Yeah. That set it up for me where like, what if she's going to, what if she's about to kill him and she's going to have to listen to that message later? You know, oh. that's like, that's where my mind was. He said to her when he first saw her, you got my message. And then she blasts him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she didn't get the message. Mm-hmm. She didn't get the message at all. Definitely not. And maybe we totally misread it or I misread it. I didn't think she blasted him because she was mad at him. I thought she did that because she knew Homelander was right over his, her shoulder. And A, she had to make the Seven believe that she's not on Huey's side. And B, if she blasts him in a non-lethal way, it maybe stops Homelander from blasting him in a fully lethal way. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I fully agree with you. But I think he thought what was going on is that she just showed up on her own, of her own accord to help them. Oh, yeah, exactly. And she's there with the Seven. So, yeah, but, that's, right. but yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you. I like, though, that when, like, throughout this episode, she starts at such a positive place where she's got, you know, she's got leverage over A-Train. She's got, uh, she's, you know, she's won, so to speak, with releasing the uh, the information to the press. And, you know, she, 
she goes through all of these different things to to the point to where like actually no just like you know the rest of the team just uh, just like the the boys she's kind of defeated at the end like oh my yeah. god i didn't think that you know i didn't think that i would still be here that i would still be having to do this that you know this fight is still going on she's just like oh my god there's still like i still have to keep up this facade of being on the team yeah yeah, yeah, I think it's this, very true. I, and that's what's so beautiful about this. This is, in many ways, this is the premiere because they put out all three episodes at the same time. So a lot of people watch them back to back to back. And this sets up the season where you're like, this was their goal last season was to get Vought, yeah. get Compound V out into the public. And they were thwarted. And now it's like, we've got Compound V in the public, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't actually change where the power is. Have yeah. we seen who exploded Rainer's head yet? No, we don't. We don't know anything about that yet, and that's. I, I think that's something we don't fully understand yet. I think it's going to be more complicated than we think. Oh yeah, yeah. The, well, the not only who who exploded her head, but what is this coup that they're trying to hide? Like, who's the coup? Yeah. No, Ashley. It's Ashley. Just the one last thing I wanted to say about Starlight there on Huey. I have written in my notes when Huey started to do that in in all caps with five exclamation points. Do not leave a message. Um, it just seems like that's <laughs> where you're trying to be so clandestine and like leaving a message that someone else can find is just like espionage yeah. 101. Do yeah. not do that. And I am, I think that that has to be Chekhov's message. Like totally. there, there has to be some way in which someone's going to find that message because it's just such a dumb <laughs> idea. Yeah. I really yeah. thought it might be her. I was really worried when, when she's sitting there standing over him, they're telling her to kill her, that that was just going to be like the thing that she weeped to in the opening of the next episode. I was like, damn. Uh, and I'm glad it didn't happen. The other big thing with starlight that I, it, it's, it's pretty inconsequential, honestly, but I think it's a, it's an acknowledgement that they know we want this to happen. And I think mm-hmm. I'm, I, I was glad to see it. The deep and starlight meeting this episode. Yeah, that um, was an important moment. It was an important <laughs> moment, but here's the thing. It wasn't at all. Uh, it, I know it, my road is long and hard. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. It's like, it was them having the conversation that we on this podcast have been talking about them having, right? Yep. But they were both being fake. He He was not intentionally being fake, but he's being very led down the road of this cult. She was, she literally only brought it up when she thought she could stall the boys. Did you guys see that? Yep. She goes, oh, let me have this throw down dramatic moment so that we, we stall them as long as we can to give the boys a chance to get away. Like that's what she was doing. She didn't actually, so she wasn't being honest and he wasn't really being himself. He was letting himself just be dictated by this, uh, this cult that he's joined up with. So I, I think this was a mo a little snapshot of what this could look like. And, but they're acknowledging that like this, th- these are both surface level views of what's going on. We need to go deeper and have this conversation later. And I thought that was exciting because I think it's like them acknowledging that the conversation needs to be had and that it needs to be deeper than what just did, what just happened. Uh, sorry. I was just going through the, that scene, like, catching some of the um catch some of the the captions on it mm-hmm. and the thing that he said it's like to renew my light was was his, yeah. his yeah. goal and i'm like 
the hell is that? And Stormfront was basically all of us just like, what the hell is that? Yeah, you're in that like, cult, aren't you? Yeah. Did you join the Church of the Collective? <laughs> Here's why I love that scene. Cause I, I think you're right. I think I think Starlight's very much being fake. I don't I don't think the Deep is being fake necessarily. I, I like like you said, he's being led somewhere. I, I guess I mean surface level. It's it's not it's not the conversation that needs to happen. Is all I really mean by fake. It's not. It's a right. version of that conversation that is not deep enough. And I think it's acknowledging that it's not. But go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, because I, I was going to say, I, I think it is, but for a different reason, because I think what I see is him going through a process of self-healing and and attempting to find redemption, and he makes, I think, a mistake that is very common and, and often people do, but I haven't seen it called out so well by a TV show before, which is what cause I think what's happening is he's just at the point where he's acknowledging the things that, he, the, the things that were driving him to do shitty things, and he is somewhat like with the help of the cult being asked to forgive himself you know to be able to say like i did these things because of these issues and i can work on these issues and make it better but he then does the thing where he feels like now that i'm forgiving myself of course everybody else is going to want to forgive me too you know yep. and that that's very much what i heard is it's that like for him recognizing all that self-hate that he's been going through it doesn't justify what he did in any way but it sort of helps him be like, I did it because of these issues and I can work past that and be a better person. But he forgets like all that works internal. No one else has any reason to be like, oh, you know, cause I think you see that all the time. Like the person is like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was an asshole. I, w- I was dealing with this, this trauma from my past or whatever. And like I'm, I have trauma. Lots of people have trauma. I'm not meaning to downplay that at all, but I think it's easy to be like, oh, I, I discovered this thing. And so you have to forgive me too. And, and it doesn't work like that. He needs to do much more work. And I think that's what made it so good is that yes, Annie can't be real about any of that, but I do think that her, even if it was a different situation, I think she would still have the same reaction of like, that that's nice. You figured this out that you're not getting forgiven yet. There's so much more to do. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, let's, uh, the last thing that person I have in my nose that we haven't touched on at all is Kamiko really. Um, Kamiko and her brother, obviously her brother dies this episode and it was super tragic. I, I think it, to some degree, I, I wish her brother hadn't died because I, I would have liked to see them explore. Like when he does the, when he saves their lives there at the end, when he does what he can to take down Homelander, um, I thought for a second, like, okay, maybe he'll, maybe we're going to get some sort of like tenuous alliance where he's like, I still think that America needs to go down, but like, you guys are at least working against Homelander, this symbol of America that actually destroyed my village, you know, like, let, yeah, I'm on your side. I thought that might be where we're going. But then he dies. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I feel, I hate it and that he, that he died, but I also like, I, it's going to be a big part of Kamiko's character going forward. Uh, she has a real personal reason to hate, uh, these characters now Stormfront particularly. Yeah. And you can see that like seething rage at the like in the final moments of the episode mm-hmm. where she's just staring at the TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and you notice who else was staring? In real life, Homelander was staring at Edgar. Like they were both they were cutting back between both of them staring. I think Homelander was staring at Stormfront. Yeah, because Stormfront was taking took took his kill and yeah, is right. telling everyone that it's that it, she's basically taking over Homelander's position. Yeah, that's movies. Yeah, they're both staring at at, uh, at Stormfront, not Edgar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
So yeah, they did a lot to establish that relationship this episode. I, I, I felt really good about that. I felt really, I felt the feels for their relationship last episode when they're arguing over, you know, uh, whether the rising sun is a good organization or not. Um, but in this episode, when you, you know, they have the, I will protect, I will still protect you. If you, if you, if you stop, if you relent and don't be a terrorist, I will protect you. And he's like, you didn't just protect yeah. me. We protect each other. And they talk about the sign language story and we, and it was right. You were right. Uh, last episode, we were right. That, that sign language, there's a reason she never used sign language is because it was a made up sign language. Yeah. Which, which is awesome. I, I'm definitely sad about the brother dying. I there's a part of me that's like, no, don't. I, I felt like he was one of the most interesting characters, and so I'm frustrated that he's dead. Me too. I also at this point trust the writers enough that, like, on a lot of other shows, I think I'd be a lot more bothered by it. On this one, I'm like, okay, I, I that seems like a bad writing thing, but I trust that you're gonna make it make sense, you know, and, and that you're gonna do yeah. it for a reason that that's worthwhile. So I'm like. I, I didn't like that moment, but I'm 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 with them. You know, I, I know they're going to give us something even better. So I, I'm going to disagree with you on most interesting character, though. Mm. Uh, most interesting character here is obviously Eagle. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Eagle the Archer. Eagle the Archer. <laughs> we never see him fire a bow. We got a story about uh, what a, a holdup at Kroger. <laughs> Also, yep. I love that he's always in his super suit, even though we've never seen him fire his bow. Yeah. I mean, I guess they all always are, but he's like not yeah. on the seven. And I'm guessing he doesn't work in this town because he works in Cleveland. Okay. Where, where's the deep now? Because he was in Sandusky before. Sandusky, Ohio. Yeah, they're a couple hours away. Yeah, it looks like he just went up to, to Cleveland um, to hang out with Eagle. <laughs> and Eagle's like, I know how you feel. I'm a freak, too. It's like, oh, you shoot bows and arrows. I'm amphibious. <laughs> <laughs> Man, when those sharks started showing up, I was like, oh my gosh, the deep. <laughs> it's the deep. He's back. Yeah, he comes. I love how often this show feels like you really are getting the perspective of the bad guys in mm. every other like Justice League thing or whatever, because we're clearly on the boat with Huey and... Uh, Butcher and MM and Frenchie and Kamiko, but like the the that's basically just like an Aquaman story where he's after some like fugitives, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like they're on this fancy yacht, and it just reminded me of every like Aquaman comic book where he might do that. And then like, but you, you, we really are getting the inverse of that story and getting the story told from their perspective. It's just super fun. Right before we wrap up, I, I want to point out there was a funny thing that I noticed in uh, Eagle's apartment <laughs> just now. Uh, there is a framed magazine cover of Ohio Leadership Magazine with Eagle the Archer, Citizen of the Year on the front. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. On that note, we're going to see you guys next week. Now this show is weekly. I'm digging it. And uh, we're also covering Lovecraft Country at the same time. So Pandavision's feed is getting crowded. Uh, <laughs> so uh, if you're not watching Lovecraft Country, it's awesome. Uh, if It's on HBO. And if you're uh, not watching The Boys, then I, you're probably not this far into this episode. So uh, I don't know why I'm talking to those people. 
<laughs> All the important people are here. Talking to people that aren't here. That's right. All right, guys. Well, we'll be back every weekly as this show drops. So talk to you soon. Peace. And remember, we'll be watching. Thank you for listening to PandaVision. We are a member of the Stranded Panda Network. For all of our podcasts and other creative geeky projects, check out strandedpanda.com.